Checking my body, sun dry, my battle lines going to war again. Feeling the rhythm inside of my chest, all I need is just a pen. I know. Don't care for the critics, my words are life physics are force that they can't stop. They just don't get it, I think they forget I'm not done till I'm on top. I know. Hello, you've reached the culture's viewpoint with Coach Tim, and uh, that song always pumps me up. I sure hope our team's listening to that instead of that Fifi music they hear all the time. <laughs> we hear it on a lot of those hype videos, right? But this team, we have some, some things to talk about this week that I think uh, kind of go beyond just the game. Um, so I'm going to spend less time on the game review of the Cardinals game and then on uh, the Rams coming up Monday night. But uh, and a little bit more on the intricacies, um, the inside of the locker room stuff, and the leadership part of the game. Because that's what, that's what football is. You know, it's about what happens in that locker room and what happens on the field. Okay, there's two parts to it. You know, you see the results on the field, and it kind of tells you what goes on in the locker room or what's going on during practice during the week. There's indicators, but we need to know how to make this team better. And I got some suggestions for that from my experience coaching and from watching the 49ers under Bill Walsh um, when he practiced the team. And uh, I think uh, the things I gleaned from that, and I, and I got his book too, um, Bill Walsh, Finding the Winning Edge, Really an encyclopedia. If you ever watch the YouTube video on it, it's outstanding uh, the way they cover it. And all the different coaches that have read the book and their respect for him and for the book, uh, what he teaches in it is just it's awesome. I mean, you don't get that kind of universal respect for a guy uh, that did so much in such a short amount of time. I mean, he only coached for nine years, ten years. Technically, but uh, he always said that the shelf life of a coach in the NFL was about 10 years. Um, so, but he did feel after he walked away from the game that uh, he wished he would have stayed another couple of years. That team that won the Super Bowl in 1990 under Seifert was really Bill Walsh's team. I mean, he built that team, he put it together, and uh, his coaches were, were coaching it, so he just wasn't there to manage it. But that was his team, and I know the players, their their mission was to show that they could do it without him, <laughs> which I think is kind of interesting because really they're all 
products of Bill Walsh, whether they wanted to admit it or not. And I think after he passed, they all uh, appreciated that, I think, to a man. They all, they all mentioned it. Some of them in the video, some of them personally in interviews. But uh, anyway, so quick review of the Cardinals game. Obviously, we all you know, have hashed this out all week and uh, not a whole lot to go on except that we came into that game against a team that was missing some of their key starters. And <clears throat> as a home game, I mean, we should have should have been better prepared and we should have played better than we did so that being the case why didn't we a lot of people talked about things you know there's a few podcasts that I follow during the week I like them a lot because they're positive for one thing that's a criteria that I think is very important for fans to get a positive experience when people are breaking down the game that you love and the team that you love. And I also think they need to have a certain amount of football, high football IQ, so that they can not only understand the game, but present it to people in a way that they can understand it. Because most fans do not understand the game of football. And it doesn't matter what city you're in, in the NFL, it's all that way. There, there are some cities that are a little bit more savvy maybe than others, but but the majority of fans still don't understand the game the way they should. So I would say that's uh, definitely the case in the San Francisco Bay Area and the country here uh, for 49ers fans. It's been my experience watching people, the comments they make, and some of you know when I comment, I tend to get on people when they're too negative. And i got to get better at that because then it becomes a negative for me. So really, I don't want to come away from it with a a bad feeling or experience from having interacted with fellow fans. I mean, I just don't like that. So my goal is to, I know I'm dealing with a lot of young fans. I've been a fan, this is my 49th year now. So uh, I go back to the days when we were losing the NFC Championship to the Dallas Cowboys and we had John Brody as our quarterback, Hall of Fame quarterback, John Brody, by the way whose number is retired. And we had guys like Gene Washington at wide receiver. And, uh, you know, we we had, geez, Bob St. Clair at tackle. <laughs> I met the man uh, later when I worked in the fitness industry. Um, I used to do a little bodybuilding when I was younger. And I worked in the fitness industry in the early 90s, early to mid-90s. And uh, I met Bob St. Clair, and his nephew actually played for me. He was a tackle, offensive tackle. Um, his son coached with me, Greg St. Clair. So I got to meet the family and get to know him, and he was an interesting individual, let me tell you. He was huge. He was a big guy. <laughs> but he was the friendliest guy you ever meet. I mean, just a wonderful person. And, you know, but when that helmet went on, he changed. I mean, there's guys, there's guys like that. When that helmet goes on, they become a different person. And uh, we got a few of those guys on our team. 
But we need more of that. We need them to bring that out more. So on the Cardinals game, getting back to that, uh, you know, they basically they they took it to us. I mean, they came in prepared, and uh, they beat us at every aspect of the game. And <clears throat> there's no excuses for it. I mean, when you look at how the game was. Was actually, you know, plays were executed and what happened. I mean, we started out okay, went right down the field and scored. But by the time that happened, I mean, we were down 14 to nothing to get back in the game. I mean, and then before we knew it, it was 31 7. And I mean, I was just, I don't know about you, but I was sitting there. And my son, my youngest son, he's always, uh, we always chat back and forth during the games, talk about our observations and what's happening. Uh, he's learning to be, to look at things from a coach's standpoint too. And uh, he's actually getting very good at it, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, but he, uh, you know, we bounce things back and forth and, um, observations that we have and you know we're both saying my gosh shaking our heads like whoo they're taking it to us they're kicking our butts what's going on with this team and we were both asking us each other the questions what is going on here so there was a lot of areas in the game uh i think you know we failed at execution wise and Maybe some coaching errors as well. Um, I don't think, you know, when you get down that quickly in a game um, that early, I mean, uh, you know, for a coach, I mean, you almost have to throw the game plan out the window because nothing's working. And what is working, you have to go away from because now that because of the score, you got to change, you know, um, how you approach each drive. And so there's a lot of things that factors that go into it. A lot of fans don't understand or know about, but... You know, uh, <laughs> I remember it was once said, I don't know if it was Bill Parcells who said this or one of the players for the 49ers. It might have been Ronnie Lott. But basically what he said was, you go into a game with a game plan and then somebody hits you in the mouth. And of course, this goes back to a famous saying that uh, Mike Tyson said when he said, you know, you, everyone goes into the, the ring with a plan until they get hit in the mouth. It's the same thing in football. That was said by Bill. It was Bill Parcells, I'm pretty sure. said that way before Tyson ever said it. And uh, and that's a truism, you know, of the game. I mean, you go into a game and, and you're down two scores real quick or three, and all of a sudden the whole plan you had going into that game basically goes on goes in the back pocket because now you've got to change what you're doing in order to get back into it. And that doesn't always work out. But the questions that have to be asked are, and they've been all through the podcast that I've listened to and the positive ones even. You know, I, I'll, I'll name them because I really respect these guys. But, you know, David Lombardi is number one. Him and, and the cutback crew. Um, the two coaches, Ant and uh, Andrew, those two guys 
and David Lombardi do a very good job of breaking down um, what occurred and, and, you know, they always come with on they always come with creativity and suggestions on how to improve, how to how to change and make things you know make changes that are going to help the team be better. And whether it's from personnel or you know uh, scheme standpoint, there's not a lot that changes with the schemes. I mean, it's just execution really, because the scheme is, in my opinion, the scheme comes from Bill Walsh's and I, and I say this because Bill did Midwest offense. Midwest offense came from Cincinnati. He put it in there, and of course, it originated with um, with his time there in Cincinnati, but also with his experience with Sid Gilman. And he wrote about that in his book, uh, Finding the Winning Edge, which I have a copy of. And I read it often, uh, sections of it, and especially when I'm trying to understand uh, what's happening with this team when I can't be that fly on the wall in the locker room. Um, that's the hardest part of being a former coach. I can understand the frustration for fans because I'm a fan too. And there are times in games when I've, I've been sitting there watching and just, <laughs> I used to get mad and, you know, cussing, swearing, all that stuff at the screen. But now, especially since I've been watching or kind of tuning in with to the games with my son we we voice our frustration but we do it in a technical sense it's not you know it's more like um boy we should have done this or we could have done that or this block you know wasn't executed properly or you know we'll see things right away and bounce it off of each other and you know, that's part of understanding what's going on, but it also helps you in evaluating things going forward. So fans need to... My my goal in doing this podcast is to help fans get to the point where they can do that. And you can't do it overnight. It takes time, experience. But, you know, through podcasts, we learn some of this stuff. And, you know, David Lombardi does a really good job He's got a lot of analytics that he uses, and I like it. I like the analytics because it kind of gives you a snapshot beyond just what's happening on the field on game day. He's talking about what's going on from a performance standpoint. How is the date? What's the data show? How are we doing in this regard or that regard? And when fans can see that, sometimes you know, like people were on Mike McGlinchey's case, and even this year. You know, the first four, five, five, six games, they were still criticizing Mike, and Mike has been doing actually a really good job. And David brought that out in one of his uh, videos. He showed this, the data and how it's stacking up through PFF and their ratings, and all of our offensive linemen are doing really good, except Brunskill, I think, is the lowest grading, but he's still, you know, in the top 50 percentile, which is not great, but. <laughs> He could get a lot better, and I hate to call guys out, but that's I'm just making an example because David does such a good job of comparing and showing all that and then comparing us to other offensive lines throughout the league. So you get a good snapshot of the way things really are, and then 
I think uh, right now, through this many games, we've got the fewest sacks we've allowed. Um, we did give, give up some at the end of that when we had the injury to McGlinchey in that game in that game against the Cardinals, of course. But going into that, I mean, we you know we were not giving up that many sacks, so we have not had that same problem that we've had in years past. So we were definitely trending in the right right way in the right direction as far as our offensive line went. Now we got to scramble again, and we got to start. McGlinchey's got to be replaced. I don't. My suggestion initially, my thought was to just slide Brun, Brunskill out there to tackle, and then bring uh, McKivitz in at guard. And uh, they still might do that. I don't know. They did call up McKivitz, so something's going on there. Um, I don't think he play. He's going to play tackle for us. I think he's a better guard than tackle. So I would think. Uh, they would practice Brunskill at tackle and have uh, McKivitz play the guard. But either way, that coupled with the, and this is getting uh, ahead of things a little bit, but looking ahead to the Rams, uh, you know, they picked up Ron Miller, of course, and they've got Leonard Floyd and they've got Donald, uh, Aaron Donald in there in that line. And, and then you've got uh, Jalen Ramsey on the back end and Taylor Rapp that, you know, are going to present problems too. So we're going to have to get rid of the ball quick in this game. And that tells me that we need to run the ball. And I'm, I've been a proponent of that all year. I think the strength of our team is running the football. Um, can we still do that without McGlinchey in the game uh, at right tackle? Because he was one of the best run blockers, and he is one of the best in the NFL. But I don't know. I mean... You know, like Kyle would say, guys are going to have to step up and make play. So offensive line, you're on. Uh, you're on this week. You're going to have to step up on the right side and you know carry this team. Uh, step in for the you know it's next man up, and uh, that's how it works. So yeah, the Cardinals took it to us, but we played down to to a level that. Now, I won't say that the Cards weren't a better team. They're a they're a first place team for a reason, okay. And I've always noticed this about even our own 49er teams over the years when we've competed for the first place in the division. We've always had great depth, and obviously the Cardinals showed that they have great depth on that team. So you got to give your hats off to them. There's no way they shouldn't have won that game. But there's many reasons why we could have won that game had we maybe done a few things differently. Um, so I'm leading with that, kind of going into it. Um, now I'll go ahead and I'll preview the Rams here first before I get into the nuances of what what's wrong with our team and what we need to do to correct it. But... Uh, looking at the Rams, looking ahead to the Rams, uh, this is a big game. It's a Monday night game. It's going to be a very exciting, electrified atmosphere. It's the perfect game or type of game for us to get up for and play better. However, we're not playing the perfect opponent for that because right now the Rams are tied for the best team in our division. Even though they just lost to the Titans, who are a very good football team, when you look at them on film, 
We're going to have to play them later too. Um, they got they got surprised, I think, a little bit by the Titans, especially their front four. So, can we bring that kind of pressure against the Rams? Stafford's a pocket quarterback, so that's the game plan. I mean, going in, that's going to be the game plan: run the ball, short passes, quick timing rhythm passes, get the ball out. Be patient, work the ball down the field. We get a shot, we take it, right? And I think that's going to be on early downs, not third downs. But first and second down, mid mid to short yardage, yeah, it's great to take a shot then. You know, who do we got? Well, we got Debo, we got Ayuk for this game, of course. Uh, we did pick up a receiver, I think we signed, but I doubt he'll be on the field right away for this game. Um, and he's not, you know, he's not a game breaker anyway to begin with, but Mahavis Sanu is injured. We're going to talk about injuries as well here. Uh, he is going to miss a few games. Um, Greenlaw is not able to get back on the field yet. Might be several weeks before he can, so that's going to mean our defense is um, then again at linebacker. Um, so, do we? Uh, I think I'm, I'm showing on the website that Kendricks is still on our team roster. Um, do we activate him and, and practice him this week for a game? Well, I don't know if they did or not. I didn't hear anything about him, so probably not. But we do have a guy that we picked up uh, um, a week and a half ago, Menahue. Charles uh, came from the Texans. He's a defensive end primi primarily, but he can play defensive tackle as well. Uh, we finally moved Eric Armstead inside the defensive tackle, which I have been screaming for, geez, for over two years now. Um, finally, we did do that. And I think he's going to stay there for a while. He, he definitely had his best game of the year playing D-tackle for us this past week. So I, I anticipate he's going to continue to do well there. And one thing about Charles O'Menahue is he can play inside. And you can, or you can put him outside and then stunt. Okay. There's some things we can do there. He's very good at stunting, stunting and, um, he showed that on his game film, both at Texas and with the Texas, uh, um, the Houston Texans team. So he gets pressures. He had the same amount of pressures as J.J. Uh, Watt had the season before. And, uh, you know, he's had four sacks one year and three sacks another when Merciless and, and Watt were the guys, and he was just playing spot time. So... He's capable of having a huge impact on the game. Now, is he D Ford? No. He doesn't play the same. He's not as fast. But he's very powerful. He's got great leverage. And he's got very long arms, which means he can knock down passes. And when you got a pocket passer, that's the perfect defensive lineman to have. So I think we should play both of those guys inside. On obvious, well, in this game, there's going to be a lot of passing because that's what the Rams do. They don't run the ball a lot. 
they throw the ball more. It's probably like a 60-40 uh, or even a 65-35 split on the pass and the run. So I would uh, expect Mr. Uh, Omenahu to get some reps in this game and to have an impact knocking balls down and getting in the pass lanes and getting some shots on uh, Stafford. Uh, along with uh, Mr. Armstead, because both those guys are big. They've got, you know, Armstead is extremely tall. It's six foot seven. And uh, Omenihu, although he's six five, that ain't short by any means. He's got those long 33-inch arms, and he can put them in a quarterback's face. So I would expect us to do well there. So this gives us a chance. I mean, that in our run game and a short passing game, I think, could help us at least stay competitive with the Rams in this game, possibly even squeak out a win. And this is where special teams has to has to play a part this week. Um, back when uh, our roles were switched, the Rams were the top dog. where we were both competing, I would say we were both competing for the top dog in the division. And during those years, the Rams had one edge over us, and that was their special teams. They always seemed to make plays on special teams. And they had Hecker, of course, who could throw the ball or run it on uh, punts. So we really haven't shown that ability with the special teams. And I always, you know, my son will tell you this, I constantly say, you know, our special teams are just not special. We don't do anything. <laughs> I mean, we, we're very basic. I mean, geez, we could get any punter to punt the ball. I mean, we got Wisniewski. Wisniewski came out of college, and he was he was a playmaker. I mean, he came out, he would run fakes, he could throw the ball, he could do things. We have not seen that since uh, he's been here as our punter. I really expect us to start doing that because we need to. We absolutely need to do something out of our comfort zone and out of, you know, because I think Hightower, and Kyle probably likes this, Hightower is a safe coach. He plays things by the book. He lets his players, um, you know, execute. And I understand that, but at the same time, you don't want to be the weak link on a team where you're giving up plays and losing the game for the thing for the team. So I understand that aspect of it, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you got to take chances. You have to go out there and do something to help win a close game or help be a difference in a game where the other team is not expecting it. And right now at this point, I don't believe the Rams would expect us to to do anything extra or special on special teams because we haven't shown it all year. So for crying out loud, let's get imaginative on special teams and do something. Now, if we do that, I still don't know, you know what the Rams are going to do as far as their game plan goes. I mean, like I said, they do throw the ball more. They'll probably spread us out because they know we're weak at corner right now. But I think Lenore is going to play in this game. I think it's going to improve our chances. We've got K1 back there now. Uh, K1 has shown K1. <laughs> excuse me for that. K1 has shown a uh, preponderance for 
locking down Cooper Cup in the past. Now, can he follow him, you know, on the deeper routes that he's been running? Because he's, he's the number one guy now, so obviously he's running the deeper routes. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, uh, if he can stay with him, and I don't think Cup is that fast. I mean, if K1 can follow him from sideline to sideline, he can certainly follow him down the field. So I think that gives us an advantage in this case, and uh, we should lock him up and just let him play him. And then you've got uh, their other two receivers. And, of course, they picked up OBJ this week, who I don't think is going to be a huge factor in this game anyway. Um, but And OBJ is not the receiver he has been in the past either. So he's kind of turned into kind of a possession receiver. I mean, he doesn't make those spectacular plays like he used to. So... I would look. I would look. I would not look for him to be a difference maker in this game. Not that you got to ignore him, but you could afford to put a younger corner on him, probably, or someone not as bad. Maybe Drake Kirkpatrick could could cover him. Um, and then you got uh, you know Woods, of course, is their multiple screen guy and uh, motion guy and everything. And of course, Coop shares those with him. Cup Cup shares those kind of routes with them as well so you're gonna see those two guys moving around a lot and doing things so we got to be ready for that but expect them to run a similar I think they're gonna come after us similar to what the Cardinals did because uh, except the Cardinals will run the ball more but that means the Rams will just use more wide receiver screens and running back screens and they were very successful against this the Cardinals so you know when things are working against the team you Hammer that until uh, the team proves that they can stop it. So you're going to see that, I think, this week from the Rams. And uh, defensively, I think their pressure package is going to be better if, if uh, Miller does play. Um, and if he's 100% healthy. I don't know how healthy he is, but I understand he's had an ankle or leg problem or something for a couple of weeks, and that could slow him down. We might need that edge with who we roll out there against him at tackle. So I'm, I'm not predicting anything for this game. I mean, I'm expecting us to lose simply because the Rams right now are the number one team um, or at least number two better than us. And until we prove that we can play that that good, I mean, this is definitely a feel-good opportunity for our team to get better and win this game. Um, if things, you know, turn our way, we get we got to get some breaks, we got to get some turnovers, and we have to get pressure on the quarterback, and we have to make some plays, at least a couple of them on special teams. Whether that's in the return game or the coverage game, or when we're punting. Um, and we can run a fake. I mean, let's do it. You know, I mean, I'm sure the coaches are looking at film. They're seeing the uh, tendencies by this Rams team. Um, they always seem to have good special teams, so there may not be a lot of weaknesses there for us to run fake puns. But I'd like to, when we get a short yardage opportunity, I'd like to take it. And if, even if, you know, depending on the field position, of course, you know, if we're near midfield, 
or on the other side of the 50, I think we take the chance. Fourth and two, fourth and three. I mean, have Wisniewski run the ball. I mean, the guy was a rugby player, for crying out loud. Or an Aussie rules football player, they call him, I guess. I don't know. But <clears throat> I would like to see us do that. Okay, so if we can pull that game out, I'm looking at a score of like 26-24 or something like that with a late field goal by Robbie to win that game. I think that would be perfect. Good way to fill, finish, finish the night, get a win, feel better about ourselves going forward. But there's a few things that have to happen for us to get there. Okay. Number one, fans got to bring the electricity. This is a Monday night football game, okay? Got to bring the electricity. But more importantly, and that's important, but more importantly, I think, right now, week to week, we there has to be a fundamental change in this team. And what I mean by that is we need to take more control of our destiny here and do some things maybe we're not comfortable doing. And one of them, and I'm talking about off the field, and one of those things is, and this, this rests with the players, okay, not with the coaching staff. This is on the players because this is, they're self-admitted that they're a quiet leadership team. And the captains that we march out there every week, George Kittle, I think, is the, the loudest one out of the bunch, and he's the joker, okay? So he's, con you know, he's a comedian. He's going to be light, you know, keep people light during games and, uh, you know, keep them in a good mood and kind of having fun, enjoying it, you know, that kind of stuff. That's great. But what I want to see from the guys that have the C on their jersey, and I'm talking about our captains, and we may even have to get this from some backup players or, you know, players that aren't captains, not backup players, but start, starting players who are not used to being vocal but can step up and be vocal because we need accountability. That's something you have to have on a team. When you go back and you look at the 49ers teams of the past, back when we had Young, Martin Hanks, Tim McDonald, Ken Norton Jr., Joe Montana, uh, Freddie Solomon, Dwight Clark, Jerry Rice, you know, Randy Cross, Keith Von Horst, Steve Wallace, you know, the tackle, Roger Craig, Tom Rathman. I mean, Tom Rathman was, he, used, he invented the term bruise crew for our special teams, okay? This was a guy who was pretty quiet on the field most of the time. He was a quiet leader, but he stepped up and he started taking ownership of that special teams unit. And uh, he came up with the headband and the wristbands that said Bruce Crew on it. And our special teams all of a sudden took on a whole new identity. Uh, we need that, folks. We need that on this team badly. We need guys to step up and be vocal. We need guys like Fred Warner who can get away with it, to grab people by the face mask and tell them, hey, you need to step up your game. Follow my lead. Come with me. Remember Ray Lewis, he used to say that to his players all the time. Get behind me. Come with me. Let's do this. I'll lead the way. You follow 
and then when I when I'm when I'm done, you lead the way. And that's what he got from that from that team, you know. They never had the level he did, but they did. You know, he developed some leaders out of that group. We got guys on our team that can do that. Uh, I think uh, Jimmy Ward is coming back this week, as from what I understand. He, he practiced this week, so we, we should see him on, on game day. That dude right there, man, he needs to open his mouth. He needs to get out there and lead. Okay? Fred Warner, Jimmy Ward, and the other guy on, on the, the front line level is Nick Bosa. Now, Nick... When he makes a play, uh, he gets he gets a little more vocal than he, he does otherwise. He's kind of a quiet guy, but he needs to be you know he needs to chirp it up, man. You know I want to see these guys talking to the other team. I want to see them getting on their case. I want to see them getting in each other's face. I want to you know we don't get to unfortunately we don't get to see into the locker room to see how quiet these guys are. Now, when they come out on the field and they huddle up before the game and everything, you, you see a little bit of rowdiness and, you know, Fred does some talking and stuff, and that's great. But talking to me is, is pretty cheap. You really have to be physical. You really have to grab people. You need to wake them up. Fred, you got to do that, man. you got to wake your teammates up, especially on defense. Our defense should be flying around. Knocking people's you-know-what in the dirt, okay? And when you do that, getting up and saying, don't worry, we're going to be back again. And you keep doing it, play after play after play, until that team gives up mentally or psychologically and then physically. And that's what happens. Our 49er teams of the past, that's how they were. Teams would literally give up on playing us because they knew they were getting their butts kicked. It was going to be for 60 minutes, and they didn't stand a chance. And they, psychologically, they were beat before they ever were physically. Okay. Maybe we won't have that element this year with this team. I don't know. We might have to bring in somebody that can give us that. I mean, we had a great opportunity with Quan Alexander until he got hurt. We had Richard Sherman, another vocal guy. But in years past, I mean, it, it goes back to the to the main guy and the epitome and the the model for this type of leader in the locker room and on the field, and that's Ronnie Lott. And Ronnie was special. He's a one once in a generation type player. But we can get that from the guys we have. You know, when they get over their their underconfidence, okay, because a lot a lot of them are not. They're, they're playing, you know, they're getting their first playing time in, in, in this team, a lot of them. Guys like Hufanga, I mean, I want to see Hufanga. He's a quiet dude, man, but he needs to be vocal. And I know when he plays, he gets vocal because I see him out there. I see his jaw flapping. He's talking, okay? But when you make plays, man, you can you can talk to your teammates. Come on, let's go, let's go. When you make a play, you show it by example, but tell it to him verbally too. Hype them up. Grab them by the face mask. Let's go. Let's do this. Okay? Bill Walsh talked about this in his, in his book, Finding the Winning Edge. Talked about the accountability factor with players and their leadership and how important it was. But they also talked about leadership from coaching and so forth as well. 
I think we have leadership from the from at least from the head coach. I can't speak to I can't speak to the um, the other uh, coaches because we don't really hear from them a whole lot until they're doing their pressers and it's really kind of few and far between. They get a lot of softball questions from the media. But the media has hinted a little more this week to them about the leadership in the locker room and that kind of thing, but nobody's really pressing. And, you know, you get the same canned responses from the players. It's always, you know, well, you know, we lead by example. You know, we don't need to be that vocal and da-da-da-da. Well, guess what? You do need to be that vocal. This team needs it, and it's an obvious weakness on our team. So we need to get in the habit of doing that in order to be the better team. And to, to, to. I would say that we uh, should focus on that going forward. I mean, that needs to be a, a point of focus for this team. And I think if they come into these games and they're a little bit more riled up than they normally would be, you know, still you gotta you gotta be on point. You gotta get to your marks. You gotta, you know, do your do your uh, your reads and and communicate with each other out there. But at the same time, part of that communication is in the locker room, holding each other accountable on the field before the game. You know, when everybody rallies up before the kickoff, that's the time to set the tone. Okay, and then you go out there on kickoff or kick return and you set the tone. Okay, we got to do that. And uh, people are talking about the coach. You know, he's needs to do this, needs to do that. Kyle Shanahan is fine as a head coach. Okay, he doesn't have to change anything as far as his play calling, um, as far as his approach to the game. Other than, I think maybe being a little more proactive with the other coaches, assistant coaches, um, getting in their face. You know, when guys aren't doing doing as much you can't be a buddy to everybody you can't be a a player's coach and a coach's coach I mean you gotta pretty soon you gotta hold people accountable and you know this is a mostly a perception because we don't know what really goes on behind closed doors he might be yelling the hell out of everybody (laughs) I mean we don't we just don't know but I know he he's a player's coach but there comes a time when okay now you're into the season and certain guys just aren't taking care of it. And I think he, he hinted this when they cut uh, Hurd this week. I think he kind of said, okay, you know, this guy's had enough chances. He's not getting it done for whatever the reasons are. It's time to let him loose. It's time to move on. And that's what they did. And that will help send a message to players too. Because even though he wasn't playing, there's other guys who, who who play, like Norman. I think he could have sent a message with Norman as well, but we, the only problem with that is we need the guy. I mean, we don't have the bodies. So, and like he said, you know, Ambry's improving, but I don't know that he's ready yet to step out there and, you know, full game coverage. So, you know, you gotta you got to factor that in. But I, I see the biggest weakness on this team is not our talent, it's not our skill positions. It's not our schemes by any means. I think there are adjustments we can make, better adjustments in our schemes. I think uh, 
D'Amico came out in that game against the Cardinals playing too much cover two when we should have had an extra guy down in the box, especially when they started showing the run and were successful with it early in the screens. You got to get that guy down in the box, okay? And we have the defense for that. Um, so, you know, there are other times when, you know, we're playing that wide nine, and I'm, I mean, that that gap over there on that wide nine is too big. We don't have the guy. The guys that we got, we got three linebackers, man, and and the middle linebacker can't cover the whole. You know, he can't cover A to D on the gaps. Can't do it. He's an A B gap guy. That's his job. So that means the other linebackers have to do it. Or, as an adjustment, we we cut down our 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 uh, our spread. How open we are on that wide nine. We need to make it a narrow nine or a head up nine. You know, maybe a seven technique instead of a nine, okay? Or a six, six I, or, you know. I don't think we need to be head up, head up on the tackle, but maybe get his outside shoulder. And now you have, you know, a little bit more. If they put a tight end there, a motion one, then you widen out a little bit and take his outside. You know, we used to say outside number. You know, Seifert used to call the outside number. Um, and Norb Hecker, when he was coaching the defense, used to say, you know, outside number, and that was the shade of the defensive end or the elephant on our line. So maybe some five-man fronts, we bring the safety down, or we put a linebacker there and bring the safety down in the box. I mean, I would love to see that, more of it. Ufanga played in the box more than a few times. I think it was good. If you have that fifth man on the line, now you take care of that blocking, that, that first First level of blocking can't get out and, and onto the linebackers then as easily. Because that means they're leaving an unblocked end or lineman. Which means he's got a free run to the, whoever's got the ball. So, you know, there's little things like that you can adjust and get better at as a defense. And But our, our biggest problem is, number one, from a leadership standpoint, I think... Holding people accountable, and that's the players themselves that start. It starts there. And um, one of the things I'm going to mention here before I kind of finish this up is this week in an interview, uh, Steve Young was on KMBR talking about uh, talking with Jerry Rice. And Jerry's always there at the practice and at, at games and stuff, and he's on the field and pregame and all that. And uh, he said, Jerry said to me, I, I asked him, I said, you know, you're, you see the team, you're, in, you're along there with them all the time. What do you see as being the problem? And Steve had his own, you know, assumptions. He was probably correct on as well. But Jerry said what he was probably thinking, and that was, uh, Jerry said, uh, Steve, uh, there's no dogs on this team. I don't see no dogs. You know, we got... We got a lot of playful golden retrievers. I guess I don't know what ex exact terms that he used, but I can just imagine. You know, if I was telling that, I'd say, "Yeah, we got a lot of retrievers and Labradors. You know, loyal guys, good guys, run around. They do things. You know, they they can make plays and stuff. But you don't have those guys that are like the pit bulls or the Rottweilers out there." that are leading the pack and are holding people accountable. And when they have to, you know, like that alpha wolf, you know, they, you beat, you grab somebody and you shake them up. 
and you say, you got to change, you got to get better, you got to do more, demand more from those players, those leaders with the C on their on their chest or on their shoulder pad there, they need to be those guys. They need to say, we need more out of you so we can win games. And then you go out and you do it, okay? And if you run around and you try to make a play and you don't make it or you make a mistake, okay, but you can live with that because you're putting forth the effort. And that's where it counts. The effort is nine-tenths of the game. If you're not in it effort-wise, mentally, psychologically, and physically, then what's the point of playing? Get your acts together. Get out there. Play together as a team. Be a bunch of dogs, man. Be a pack of dogs on defense and go after teams. And on offense, skill guys. You got to be dogs, man. You got to win on those battles on the blocking. You got to win on catching that ball. When you catch the ball and come down with it, you got to hang on to that ball. You can't be fumbling it, turning it over. Those are killers. They kill the momentum of the team. They kill the psyche of the team. And when you don't have the vocal leaders out there, it makes it even worse. Because a vocal leader can snap you back. They can snap you back to attention and clear your thinking and get you refocused. That's what has to happen. Coaches can't do that. That has to happen among the players. That's the old adage, you know, coaches coach, players play. That's what the execution is about. If players don't make the plays or players don't support each other out there and help each other, they're not going to succeed. So they have to start doing that. We need to see that change. It, it, it's, it'll show in the results on the field. You'll see guys, and you'll hear guys. Guys will be talking about it. Okay. And they'll say, yeah, we need to do a better job of this. Okay. Execution is one thing, you know, making adjustments, not blowing your assignments, that kind of stuff. That's all part of it, sure. But at the same time, got to have dogs. I mean, I want to hear them hoofing and, and, and woofing. I want to hear our linebackers do that. They're linebackers, man. They got to be that way. That's how linebackers got to be. I coached linebackers my first year ever coaching, okay? And I learned about those dudes, let me tell you. Linebackers are the lifeblood of your defense. And if you don't get them off their ass and get them playing sideline to sideline and blowing people up and showing by example and grabbing people by the face mask and demanding accountability from their fellow teammates you're not going to have a good team you're just not those guys lead the way okay fred that's for you babe you got to lead the way okay you got to be that dog man okay Sheer, you may not have the personality for it but come out of your shell man because you, you got to start playing like it okay Nofanga, same thing okay Jimmy, if you're back there playing safety, you got to start being more vocal. Okay? You got to bark at people, man. Let's go. Not just the opponents, but I'm talking about your teammates. Demand more of their teammates. Make them raise their level of play. That's what champions do. Okay? That's what we got to see as fans. We got to see that. Then we can have confidence, more confidence in you guys. We know we got skill on the team, but we got to see other things, man. You guys got to go to another level here. All right? That's what's needed for this team to be uh, competitive. 
We can't have games like that Cardinals game again. That's just inexcusable. Head, head to toe, that's inexcusable. Okay? Um, so that's going to wrap up pretty much uh, my thoughts. Um, I could say a lot more, but I'm running out of time, and I don't want to banter on too much. But my experience taught me some things, and observing the pros and how they do things, I mean, that was tremendous in my own improvement or development as a coach. And, uh, you know, I won championships because of the things that I learned and the things that we implemented. And, the, you know, we had the players that they were dogs out there on the field. And that's what made us champions. I mean, really, that was a big part of it. Of course, you got to be skilled. You got to you got to execute. You got to make more plays than the other team does to win. But you can't let them just walk over you, even when they're you know second stringers or whatever. You got to meet the challenge, man. You got to step up in the face masks and you got to meet the challenge. So let's go out there with the Rams Monday night, and let's punch them in the mouth. Okay, we got to show them that we're not going to lie down and be a bunch of mutts. That we are a bunch of dogs. We're alpha, alpha wolves, okay? Let's go take care of business. And let's go beat the Rams on Monday night in front of the entire country so they know what kind of team we're really made of, all right? That's what's important. Show what you're made of, 49ers. Let's go. It's that time. It's time to produce. Have a good weekend, everyone. We'll see you Monday night at the 49ers game. And let's make this a true home game, 49er fans. We got to bring the electricity. You got it? Let's go. Go 49ers. Beat the Rams. Take care. <laughs>